You went biblical, I went crazy town. <laughs> it's usually the way it is. Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the movie review podcast that dreams are made of. Keith Foster, you are holding it down in Santiago. That's right. I am social distancing uh, like a pro. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, wearing a mask if I have to go out and I try not to. You are Cassidy Robinson, and you are broadcasting from an undisclosed location in the Rocky Mountains. Yes. And uh, we're coming back down today. We're coming back down. What does that even mean? We are... I don't know. We're coming down the mountain. (laughs) Coming down the mountain. All Uh right. Uh, Today we're going to be reviewing The Five Bloods, a new film by Spike Lee that was uh, direct to Netflix Um, for our unofficial older streaming homework it's so confusing now that everything is streaming um we are doing the 1969 Mm -hmm. version the original version of the italian job starring michael kane i cannot wait to get into it (laughs) yeah we uh we we did got a survey do you want to just jump into the survey yeah let's just get to it let's Let's get get right to to the meat and taters before we before we get into the survey i do want to say a little R.I.P. for composer Ennio Marconi. Yeah. The famed composer, like much lauded composer, uh, Ennio Marconi. He's done many scores that you've probably heard and probably a lot that you haven't because a lot of them were in Italian, in Italian films. But uh, most notably, I think everyone knows him from the, the score for uh, the Sergio Leone films, including The Good, The Bad, mm. and The Ugly. Every... Dumb Western parody you've ever seen has done a parody of well, that that's, score. That's the thing, and not even parody. I I think he just straight up he lift. sort of created the sound of what westerns are, what like, they sound like in your head. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, like, I would say the you know is about as famous as like the psycho violins. Yeah, or the Jaws like uh, cello. Like yeah, it's. It, it is so synonymous with, like, Old West Showdown. And, and again, every great Western, I think, that has come after, even if he didn't do the score, you can feel his influence on it. Even the, yeah. the score to The Mandalorian has mm-hmm. a heavy Ennio Maricone like, vibe to it. Like, it is... He was definitely he was influential, to say the least. Yeah. But just in case uh, you wanted other examples of stuff you might have seen that he did, he also did the scores for uh, The Untouchables, uh, Cinema Paradiso, uh, The Hateful Eight, which was actually yeah. the, the the only, I think, might have been one of the only Academy Awards he ever won um, for, for uh, composing. And that score that he did for The Hateful Eight was... Uh, offshoot of a score that he had originally done for um, John Carpenter's The Thing in 1982 um, and some of it wasn't used 
and uh, he uh, and Tarantino was just going to take it. He was just, well, not take it. He asked. And Marconi said, yeah, 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 sure. Go ahead. You can use it. And then um, they got to talking and, and uh, Marconi was like, actually, I was I had the time. So here I wrote more. And that's what ended wow. up in The Hateful Eight. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, one of the greatest composers of all time. So R.I.P. Yeah. And this kind of parlays into the uh, into the survey question because I asked our listeners what their favorite what their favorite uh, soundtracks are, and some of these are scores. Most of these are so uh, source music. But but before we get into the answers, I this brought up an interesting debate between uh, me and my roommate. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking, and and he was he was like, you know, well, what counts as a soundtrack? Um, you know, and he, he was like, does a musical count as a soundtrack? And I'm mm. like, sure. Yeah. Does it you know, count? and well, well, yeah, so here's the thing. I, I, if it, well, I, I would say my okay. rule is I, for this yes. specific answer, you can I tell think me you're going to you, say the same thing that I said. If the musical yeah. was ever adapted as a film, like in the case of like Greece, well, that actually I think was a film first, but um, yes, whatever. Sound of music, whatever. If it if it went from the stage to film, and then that score was then put on, you know, some some sort of way of purchasing or listening to it, um, then that is a soundtrack. But if it's the original cast album of Greece, then no. Well, oh, but okay. So what about like something like Chicago? Where it existed as a stage show first. Yes. But then, you know, they... So you still count the movie version. The movie version. So, yeah, because, of course, you're going to find original cast albums for Chicago because it was on stage first. But it would only count as a soundtrack if it's the movie cuts on, you know, some sort of physical release or or digital. Um, To make a comparison... You remember in the mid-90s, there was a point of time where there was Street Fighter, the game. Mm-hmm. Then there was Street Fighter, the movie. And then there was Street Fighter, the movie, the game. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So the, the only Street Fighter So if the question game. was, what is your favorite video game based on a movie? You couldn't say Street Fighter 2. You'd have to say Street Fighter, the movie, the game. Which is yeah. nobody's favorite video game based on no. a movie. Jesus Christ, if it is. <laughs> just try playing some more games. Yeah. All okay, right. let, uh, let's get into the actual survey then. All right, so Jenaniya says her favorites are, and she first she asked soundtrack or score. I said either, and she said Jurassic Park or Edward Scissorhands. Um, both very good choices, both uh, iconic. Chris Fowler says uh, Gross Point Blank, uh, which is interesting to me. I think there's a couple Gross Point Blank answers in here. Um, maybe possibly mm-hmm. uh, Hillary as well, her his wife. Uh, and um, I was always more of a high fidelity guy for obvious reasons, but um, that both movies made sort of around the same time. Um, might have had I don't director. think it is for obvious reasons because a lot more people have said gross point blank than high fidelity. Yeah, I don't. I well, one the, of them I, is like centers on pop music, and the other one is about uh, a high school reunion and a and a uh, uh, hitman. Assassins. 
Yeah. Um, uh, that just happened to have I a think, cool soundtrack. Yeah, I think it's the violent films factor, though. Yeah. Uh, Gross Point Blank is is the movie I think that really put Blister in the Sun on the on the charts. Um, that was one of those songs I charted more than once. I think it actually did pretty well initially, like in the early '80s when it, when the album came out, and then it found a new life in the '90s um, with with uh, movie soundtracks and such. Um, and anyway. Gordon Gano was like in every TV show at that time. Uh, John Morello says, Oh, brother, where art thou? Fantastic. Uh, Ellie, who was on the podcast recently for the Donnie Darko episode, says, Gummo. And I've seen Gummo. That's a Harmony Corinne film. Uh, and I didn't remember a soundtrack, really. I know that it used music. I, I remember there's Roy Orbison and stuff in the movie, but it has a wild soundtrack. Like, as you would expect huh. from a Harmony Corinne film, it's like, death metal and all sorts of crazy mostly death metal <laughs> that's in that score uh, all right um trisha hole says guardians of the galaxy volume two she says it's been in my car cd player for way too long you know what uh it's funny because i of the two movies and i think they both have good soundtracks mm-hmm. i prefer volume two soundtrack as well yeah uh, i think we talked about that in the review it's kind of more less obvious cuts yeah, and I think I think just kind of better emotional storytelling. I I I mean, obviously, both movies use their soundtracks in really fun in a really fun way, and and mm. it, both movies are sort of uh, almost jukebox musicals. Um, yeah. uh, I just think Volume Two is a little more just on point. I guess I don't know. Uh, Mike Hodges says, "My Girl 2. Oh, okay. John Lee Hart says Batman Forever, which is one of my favorites. Um, Kiss from a Rose, baby. Oh, among a lot of other things. Uh, Amanda Kowalski says The Royal Tenenbaums. Good soundtrack. Uh, Greg Swanson says The Crow and The Matrix. Um, And then he says as far as composers go, he likes Hans Zimmer, Danny Elfman, Harry Gregson Williams. My cousin Graham says Queen of the Damned, Last of the Mohicans, and Braveheart. I think Last of the Mohicans has been his answer for multiple questions. Yeah, he loves that movie. I mean, he loves Last of the Mohicans. Yeah, he um, does. Wendy Hardwood says Practical Magic. And that's all I'm seeing here on the Facebook. I know you got a few on our Instagram. What do you got going over? Yeah. Uh, so on Instagram, there are a few that you mentioned, uh, like Gross Point Blank, Batman Forever, The Crow, mm-hmm. uh, Guardians Volume 2, A Brother Where Art Thou, Queen of the Damned. Like all, all of those were mentioned. Um, but there are a few that you haven't touched on yet. Um uh, so I put these on our stories, and unfortunately, I don't have who posted what. So I'm just going to read what people were saying. Okay. Um, uh, we got Romeo and Juliet. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Baz Luhrmann. Uh, is it, the The actual uh, comment was, "Oof, Romeo and Juliet, clueless." That's uh, great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, both of them awesome. Uh, awesome soundtracks. Yeah. Um, Romeo and Juliet has a, a, that one stands out a little bit more to me personally. Um, the Romeo plus Juliet soundtrack has my favorite Radiohead B-side talk show host. Yeah, it's yeah. awesome. 
Um, uh, the next one says, also, I don't care what anyone says, the Twilight movie soundtracks are fire. Didn't you post that? No, <laughs> that thought, wasn't me. Oh, okay. Maybe I thought it was you. <laughs> I mean, I posted it to my story, but uh, oh, I, okay. didn't, I didn't say that. I, uh, <laughs> I've only seen the first Twilight once and it was... It didn't even register to me, the soundtrack, so... Yeah, the soundtracks uh, are very, like, now that's what I call indie from, like, the mid-2000s. Oh, you're... Be careful what you're saying about the Twilight soundtrack. No, I didn't mean I that derisively. Some... I mean, like, it is they were uh, using a lot of that music, like, stuff that was definitely in my CD collection. Okay. Uh, someone said Frozen, but I feel like they were trolling me. Let it go. Um, let it go. I mean, it's it's got some good songs, but as far even as far as like you know Disney Pixar goes, uh, Moana clearly superior um, <laughs> in every aspect as a movie and as the music. Uh, Lin Manuel Miranda, man, he he knows what he's doing. Uh, Five hundred days of summer. Yeah. Um, someone said Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, that's a good you one. Know, it's, yeah, it's a great. Uh, now going back horror. to our original. Street Fighter, the movie, the game. Um, <laughs> what happened there? Because I know that I think that was the musical was a movie musical before it was a stage musical. Because it was. I um, don't actually know what this one. It was. It, uh, what's his name? The the guy who does like Aladdin and all of those. That was actually what, Al- what he Alan did. Alan Menken. Alan Menken. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Well, yeah. If you know, let us know. <laughs> uh, which came first, Little Shop the movie or Little Shop well, the Well, because show? Little Shop was originally a Roger Corman film from the 60s, and then it was remade as a musical, like musical comedy. It was like take it was like a ser- semi-serious, like B-movie from the from the 50s and 60s, and then it was made again as a like horror comedy, and I just don't remember if there was a stage show before the Rick Moranis movie. Huh. Fun. Uh, someone said singles, uh, you know, getting yep. that, putting that grunge vibe out. Classic. Um, yeah. uh, Grease, again, another, sure. another, uh, cla- again, I think this was your example. I don't know what came first, the movie or the musical. I, I think this I think was Grease a was a movie first. first. Yeah. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was a movie first. Someone m- did mention Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, I got another vote for the crow. Uh, <laughs> oh, um, so it, my conversation with my roommate was specifically about a star is born asking if a star is born counts. Cause he well, is a huge sure. Lady Gaga fan. And I was like, yeah, yeah why, why would it not count? All the music um, that he, was written for the latest movie was, um, directly written for the movie. Exactly. But, um, he, and he I, I believe some- every movie version of, of a star is born has well I uh, I know for a fact has a completely different soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. Well, because it's all always been about highlighting you know the, the singer, the talent at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Then another person said, "I'm with the Twihard." Okay, <laughs> okay. So, and then after that, someone else says, "I agree with Romeo and Juliet and Twilight." So, Twilight is the clear. Clear popular choice here. Yeah, um, somehow eking out a victory. Yeah, I've got A Walk to Remember, uh, the Mission Impossible score, 
Um, uh, oh, this one comment was not a movie, but the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina on Netflix. The like the spooky I guess they reboot. use a lot of cool music. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Ashley says Baby Driver. Yeah, uh, my wife Ashley. Um, Shrek. Someone mentioned Shrek, which a lot of music. Yeah, most I famously, mean, I guess uh, put All Star on the map. The uh, uh, however, well, no, no, no. I think you're going to go where I'm going to go, right? Mystery Men. Mystery Men, the very Mm -hmm. underrated uh, superhero parody, very ahead of its time, actually. I actually rewatched Mystery Men not too long ago, like at the beginning of COVID, Uh uh, with my wife and, and my roommate. And they didn't believe me, the Smash Mouth, because they both thought it was from Shrek. Uh huh. Uh, and I was like, no, no. And we had to look up the video after and like, you know, Dane Cook is the wafflers in that video. Yeah, it opens it's... with that, right? It like opens with the waffler yeah. thing and then goes into the video, which is funny because I think after the movie flopped, because uh, Mystery Man like didn't do very well, uh, they cut another version of, of the All-Star video without all the Mystery Man stuff. And that was a version uh-huh. that mostly yeah. played on TV. Until Shrek, of course. <laughs> um. I got another one for Queen of the Damned, and someone uh, says The Shape of Water. Um, okay. I don't remember the score. I don't know if they're talking about the score or the soundtrack. Yeah, really same here. I mean, I think there was, like, source music used in the uh, in the movie, like, on the radios and stuff, like 50s, 60s pop music or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's what's on the soundtrack or if it's all just score. Yeah, I, don't, I can't remember. Um uh, again, this was Ashley, but I think this was a little bit of a troll answer. Was Daredevil uh, specifically because of uh, the the evanescence? The fucking, bring me yeah, to light. Bring me to life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that was then a big finally, hit. Yeah, it was. That was a big. And hit. then finally, uh, <laughs> I've got Inside Lewin Davis and Ten Things I Hate About You. Ooh, the Lewin Davis is is a really good pull. Um, despite the. Uh, Mumford and Sons connection, but uh, it yeah. And what was the second ten things I hate about you? Also very good. Yeah, yeah. You really another can't really good uh, go like, wrong with a soundtrack from the nineties. Uh, we we talked about this before. There was yeah. the era where soundtracks were more just a promotional tool than they were anything else. Um, and so if they could make a cool video with a hot band at that time, then they could. You know, up the, it would be good cross promotion for both. So what you had is a lot of these soundtracks, full of you know the coolest newest bands that totally never were featured in the movie. Yeah, yeah, and it would maybe it was in like, the credit sequence, but usually not even the, then. Well, and the music videos would serve as basically trailers for the movies because right. they would just like drop in scenes from the movie randomly. Yeah. And it, it, it honestly looking up uh, music videos from that time period is like a weird time capsule of what movies were popular because yeah, it's just all of these like weird movie references that are totally out of context to whatever <laughs> the song is. Because yeah. a lot of the approach to soundtracks at that time, like you said, was just kind of the now that's what we call music method of taking like the number one hits or, uh, 
you know, the, the number one alternative tracks or whatever, whatever type of movie it was. Yeah. And just sort of fitting the music to that. Well, um, even more so, like, look out the bat, like, which I'll say is my favorite. It's probably the Batman Forever soundtrack, because I remember I got that at a pretty young age um, mm-hmm. when most of my collection just consisted of soundtracks and then, like, CD singles. Um and like I had the Men in Black soundtrack, I had the City of Angels soundtrack uh, because of that Goo Goo Dolls song, and you then eventually a lot of thirteen-year-old girls. Yeah, <laughs> and then I eventually uh, got to the Batman Forever soundtrack, which I always liked um, for various reasons. But that was one of those soundtracks, unlike some of the other ones I had, that I kind of grew into because as I got older, I was like, "Holy shit!" Like. Sunny Day Real Estate's on the Batman Forever soundtrack? The Flaming Lips? The Flaming... Well, right. And this is the Flaming Lips before they were... I think this might have been right after She Don't Use Jelly was kind of a cult hit. Um, Yeah. Like a college radio hit. But, like, some of those, I'm like, who... Like, what person on that team just slipped that in there? (laughs) Like, you... And and some of the songs were featured in the movie, but most of them weren't. Uh, I think... uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds has a song on there. It's a it's a wild soundtrack. Yeah, it's it's pretty uh pretty great. And yeah. again, kind of well, that formula was kind of set by uh by the first Batman movie with, you know, the really heavy Prince soundtrack. Right, but that was like one of those specifically and we didn't have any examples of this in our survey, but there was also before the 90s just every record company throwing out any band they want to try and promote um, to be on these soundtracks. Uh, before that period, there was the there was the artist releasing an album as a soundtrack, like mm-hmm. you had uh, Prince doing doing uh, Batman, or you had Cat Stevens doing Harold and Maude. Um, you had uh, uh, Harry Nilsson doing Midnight Cowboy, and those songs. Yeah, were- what. You know, the only the only artists were basically they were writing full albums devoted to a movie. Totally. And and I think that's I, I think that's just kind of a generational thing. Like, you know, most yeah. of these that we're listing are, you know, like these sort of 90s uh, collections like we've been talking about. You yeah, know, I think if. If podcasts had existed 20 years ago, you would have heard more of of those type of albums. Right. I wonder, has there been a really big one like that, where it was just one artist featured? Well, I th- I think kind of, again, uh, you know, I think A Star is Born is, could, you could almost count it. It's a musical, kind of, but yeah. it's, you know, it is a Lady Gaga album. Well, Bradley But there's Cooper also the Bradley Cooper Gaga. songs and stuff, too, and I believe there was a lot of, like, other collaborations on that. Um but wasn't the um, the Black Panther movie uh, strictly Kendrick, Kendrick Lamar? I don't think it was strictly Kendrick Lamar. I think he might have curated it. Okay. Um, but I don't think he... But that was actually pretty close to what you're... Right. Where you released the movie I... soundtrack as an album. Oh, fuck. I think I forgot one. I, I might have... Um... Might have not taken a screenshot of everything because I remember somebody saying "Into the Spider Verse" as well. Oh yeah, yeah. I had a lot of music. Yeah, that has a, a great soundtrack. Do you have an answer? Like, wh- what immediately comes to mind? We've talked uh, about. I lot. mean, 
yeah, so do I. The ones I listen to the most have all been mentioned. Guardians Volume 2. I, I actually listen to that soundtrack a lot. Um, the Baby Driver soundtrack I we have on vinyl. Um, I loved the Spider-Verse soundtrack. I Again, I listen to that one constantly, you know. Um, mm-hmm. uh, back in the day, you know, my go-to answer for everything would have been The Crow. Um, and it's still a pretty fire soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Is there any scores that you're uh, into? Like, I, I'm not one of those guys. There, there, there are some people who mm-hmm. get really into soundtracks as music. Like, they'll just throw on the Lord of the Rings soundtrack and drive around with it. I'm just not that guy. I like I like songs. I like to be able to sing along. I like to be able to jam. And I can't do in, that in to... General- uh, to a Howard Shore or whatever, it, it, but to the to the <laughs> <laughs> the Battle of uh, Helm's Deep, yeah. <laughs> um, but there are some uh, there are some more kind of more recent scores that I I can get into as music standalone. Um, specifically the uh, the Social Network score by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Any yeah, of theirs, really, really moody, really cool. Plus half the stuff that Nine Inch Nails has released in the last 10 years has been basically like ambient to music anyway. Um, totally, so it's yeah. not too far off from the same kind of thing. And uh, I also really like Tangerine Dream scores. If I really want to like put on that, like make it feel like I'm Ryan, Ge- Ryan Gosling in Drive, which also has a cool soundtrack. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, throw on oh, yeah. like the Thief soundtrack from the 80s or like the Blade Runner soundtrack. Any of that old Tangerine Dream stuff is great. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, uh, oh, fuck. I just had any. Oh, um, another one similar to uh, Atticus Ross and uh, Trent Reznor, uh, Nick Cave and Warren Ellis. Um, you very ambient, like, mm-hmm. sort of westerny music. Um, like, they did The Proposition, they did uh-huh. Hell or High Water. Um, they have kind of a different Western sound than Ennio Morricone, but it's, you know, same, same, uh, DNA. Sure. Um, yeah. And then, uh, I actually just got on vinyl the Thor Ragnarok soundtrack, um, which is really fun. Mark Mothersburg, um, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it stands out, I think, as in the MCU canon as, as a particularly un- unique, uh, score, that is. Um, yeah, I mean, there are some scores that, like, you know, like Lord of the Rings and stuff that I'll throw on if I'm, like, doing some RPG playing or something like that, but, um, uh, oh, fuck, I had a really, um, oh, yeah, yeah, but I think, you know, my favorite, uh, like, just score instrumental music is probably John Carpenter. Um, yeah, his stuff's I f- great. Yeah, and he has a lot of, uh, like, if you look up the Lost Themes soundtrack, like, uh, or albums, you know, where it's theme music that never made its place in movies or whatever, or even just, like, his collections of of movie themes, so fucking good. Totally. All right. Well, I think from there, um, we'll get into talking about the first review uh, the Five Bloods. I feel weird saying Duh Five Bloods, but that that is how it's spelled. I I know what you mean, but that is the name of the movie. It's Duh Five Bloods. Yeah, um, and yeah, 
I uh, feel like saying the five bloods is <laughs> weirder. Yeah, it is. All right. So this was released this year and it, uh, direct to Netflix from Spike Lee. Um, this is his uh, uh, follow up to Black Klansman, which uh, he was nominated for. And there's already a lot of buzz about this movie uh, online, which is why I wanted to to discuss it today. But basically, this is a film about uh, five friends who knew each other in Vietnam and had fought in a squadron there uh, together. And they were uh, led by a, uh, a Chadwick Boseman who stars in the film. As, well, he doesn't, he's a, actually a fairly small character. And uh, if you're just talking about runtime, but he's, he's in the film as Storm and Norman and Storm and Norman, uh, taught them philosophy and taught them, you know, about what it meant, what it means to be an activist and, and a lot of things like really kind of informed their lives in this, uh, big juncture where they're at war. Um, and while they were in war, they came across millions of dollars worth of gold and they buried it there to come back for it later. Now the movie takes place in kind of two different timelines. Um, and we have the same cast coming back. Um, they play themselves, even though like the actors are like in their sixties, they play both their younger selves and their, their modern day selves. Um, and they don't mm. like do any like de-aging makeup or anything like that. So there's, there is an element of sort of, fantasy as far as that goes but we have uh delroy lindo as paul jonathan majors as david uh clark peters as otis and norm lewis as eddie playing the other bloods and they come together uh in modern day vietnam to reconnect and to find this gold and uh it's a little bit of like an odyssey to and, to get there and to f- and to find the body of their former commander right who died in war um yeah. And, uh, yeah, so it's about them sort of reconnecting and sort of like them at different periods of their life now and where they've gone. Um, and, uh, there's also some war, modern day kind of guerrilla warfare stuff that, that sort of intervenes. So what did you think of Spike Lee's The Five Bloods? The Five Bloods. Um, man, you, I think you said it best when you said this is an odyssey, like Mm -hmm. is, you know, it's. There's a lot going on in this movie. It, yes, it there is, is epic. It is epic in every sense of the word. It, at first, this movie sort of feels like kind of like a, a an old dogs or road dogs, or whatever that movie is type of movie where it's like you know a bunch of um, uh, y- you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, like with middle aged guys stuff. reconnecting movies, like yeah, sort of a they, bucket listy type of thing. Yeah, and it's it, sort of like this style of movie where it's like, let's take these, you know, really good or, or renowned actors that might be a little bit past their prime and just sort of throw them on a road comedy together. Right. That's sort of the vibes I was getting at the beginning of this movie. Right. Um, But man, do, and, and does that disarm you well? Um, because that is not what this movie is at all. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, it has elements of that, but that is definitely just meant to sort of lull you in. Um, man, this movie is complex. There's, I, I kind of don't know how I felt about it, uh, to be honest. I think, um, Fair there's enough. a lot of 
stuff that was really interesting going on, like you mentioned. Um, I actually really liked the fact that he used the same actors to play themselves and didn't de-age them or, or, or find like, younger actors or whatever. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I think that creates this level of like uncanny Valley that distracts from what the movie is actually trying to say. And it is, I think it was sort of a, I don't know if it's intentional, but it's sort of a fuck you to stuff like the Irishman. Right. Um, and, I've heard, and there have been a lot of talk about like how they dealt with those choices differently. Yeah, and it, 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 for my money, it was much more effective in Defy Bloods. But to me, it wasn't it wasn't much suspension of disbelief to think that, like, because they still looked like them. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I so think it wasn't that. More than anything, I'm not going to say that I bought them as being 20-somethings when they were supposed to be in their 20s. Um, but what I think it does do is it frees up your brain. It adds a... a less layers of complexity because you don't have to try and figure out who's who like their yeah. young selves like remember that movie now and then like Rosie uh-huh. O'Donnell yeah. and stuff or, or even um uh, uh Little Women right exactly well in Little Women they were themselves or the same actors um well at oh, least in, right. the mo- in the most recent version uh yeah actually you're right but in yeah so there's a there's when you're cutting back and forth like that and they're using different actors um, then you have to, for the first half of the movie, try and like pair <laughs> the actors. Um, and so the, he just kind of removes yeah. that step. So you're like, okay, well, this is weird, but, um, at least I'm not thinking about that. I think it also, uh, shows, I think it also makes that the bond of the characters feel a little more real too, because yeah. you're actually seeing them go through these experiences together versus, you know, your brain understanding that it's like a CGI mask over them or whatever. Right. right. Um, uh, so I actually really liked that choice. Uh, you know, there's also a lot of uh, Spike Lee isms with, you, you know, like sort of monologuing over still frame pictures. Um, yeah. Or, you know, or highlighting uh, the film reels from like Martin Luther King yeah. and Malcolm X and archival footage. Yeah. And, and the movie does yeah, it, try to make these, as you would expect from a Spike Lee film, um, even his most genre stuff always sort of refers back to some social import. Um, and there's a, there talks a lot about like that point in the sixties um, when the Vietnam war was happening, but also sort of black people's place in that war and mm-hmm. how it surrounded civil rights as a whole. And at the beginning of the film, when we're catching up with all these characters and we're seeing like what they're up to now, we get a lot of different like political opinions and stuff that's relevant mm-hmm. to today. One of the, one of them is even a like Trump supporting like MAGA hat wearing guy. And there's some commentary throughout the film about that sort of perspective and sort of how it plays out in the, in the genre plot. Um, and uh, yeah, like, so like, I think, he does a he does a decent job at sort of folding those like bigger uh, social critiques into the narrative. Totally, yeah. Um, also, I think you know th- this uh, is uh, if nothing else, uh, this movie is a fucking highlight 
for character actors, you know, right. uh, for, for black actors that might not have necessarily had as many opportunities to shine. I, I mean, I think this is a fucking career best for Delroy Lindo. Yeah, um, uh, who's always and, been great in everything, but he's always been like... He's always like the police chief that you see for two scenes. Exactly. Or always like tucked in a corner. And and he always plays those parts perfectly. But this is like fucking gives him some shit to chew on. Yeah. Um, he gets a and, lot. and and he's so good at it. Like mm-hmm. you know, the the fact that this movie is two and a half hours long, I, I didn't mind every minute he was on the screen. You know right. what I mean? Um, I wasn't feeling that runtime when he was present. Uh, it same goes for uh, Clark Peters is fucking great. Um, Isaiah Whitlock Jr. Mm-hmm. also similar to Delroy Lindo in that he kind of gets sidelined as the she guy. Um, right, yeah. And he, you know, he still gets to, to sort of be that guy here, but with a much more like three-dimensional character and... and um, Right, they all, I did, they all get a lot to do in the film a, a, as it goes on. Yeah, I think uh, the one that gets the least is honestly uh, Chadwick Boseman. Um, right, know, who, but I mean... Who is also good, but... He uh, sort of lilts over the whole thing because we see we see those, totally. those pivotal scenes where he played such a role in their life. Um, yeah. And, uh, and their whole entire philosophy. And also in a sense, is sort of deified. I mean, literally deified at one point. Um, mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, I mean, he's, 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 he's essentially the moral compass, basically just outright saying the themes of the movie throughout the movie, which can go either way. I mean, Spike Lee has never been well known for subtlety as far as the way he deals with themes. But, uh, yeah, I think Chadwick Boseman is as good as anybody to facilitate that. Totally. Um, yeah, I I mean, I thought this movie was really interesting and really uh, entertaining, mm-hmm. if not a little over long, and get, it gets pretty muddy. Um, I, I would go so far as to say messy. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. very divided on this film and literally divided because I think the first half of the film is great. And I love like them reconnecting and I love like the character stuff. I love, I love a good old, let's go find a thing, a gold movie. That's all like a fun. I love the idea of like returning to Vietnam in totally different social circumstances. Um, yeah. And no, I, I felt the same way. Once the dramatic, once the movie shifts tones completely. Well, uh, the problem is that the, yeah, to the second half of the movie, where well, it's a different movie. It's a different. It, it literally feels like a tonally and and genre wise, like it takes a huge flip and not for the better, in my opinion. I think the movie gets goes B movie real fast, and uh, I, it turns into I, a Rambo ish type thing out of nowhere. And it it like honestly, it kind of felt like a barely elevated Expendables for the last. 40 minutes of the movie and that's even though they were trying to keep it in line with everything that had come before it it was such a jarring shift and yeah um, that it, it feels it 
it's like, whoa, how did we get here? To me, it, yeah, it no, felt it, like it betrayed the characters because I felt like there was so much going on there and it just didn't need to do that. It just didn't need to become that movie. Yeah, and, it, and it, I don't think the movie is better served for it either. I agree with you completely. I think that, um, but I, uh, same, same thing. I think the first half of this movie is so good. Right. Uh, it, and there's even so like kind touching. of a, a, an apocalypse now sort of thing, like comparison going on. Cause they, you know, they're on that boat, mm-hmm. they're going down the thing. And it's like, cer- certainly a like visual, uh, and uh, thematic reference that he's, he's using there. And well, maybe you could say like, if the whole, if the movie is like trying to emulate that sort of chaotic energy, that that's why it takes that weird turn in the same way that Apocalypse Now does. But to me, it doesn't feel as assured in that way. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And I think also uh, it feels, um, well, you know, all the all the character stuff is at the beginning. All the, all the, in, all the, the dramatic meat is in the beginning. And right. then the end is just kind of, they're, you know, getting shot up in Vietnam. And, and I think... Well, not I think. I know the idea is, you know, that the war never left these characters, but I thought that he was achieving that. Without literally doing more, it. Yeah, in much yeah. more interesting ways uh, through the first half of the movie. Right. And, and even if the film wanted to take a turn for the violent or the turn for like a thriller kind of vibe or whatever, I think there's ways you could have done that. Um with more tension than literally just having like Vietnamese gangs trying to steal gold from them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I think, you know, in any, I feel like even that aspect was set up uh, with the characters we have at play. You know, yeah. there was definitely foreshadowing uh, with Clark Peters, baby mama, where she's like, you know, telling him, be careful of the, the, you know, with the gun and like, right. He, Gold changes people, and like I feel like there was enough setup that those building blocks were there, uh, you know, uh, with Storm and Norman gone and this gold being there to tear them apart. Like the dramatic tension was there without needing it to become a literal war movie, right? Uh, or or not even literal war movie. Like you said, we just I just didn't think we needed the the Viet Cong strong arm. Ness. And, and yeah, like, I also didn't then, think we needed, like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I agree with you. For all of the uh, career best performances we have in here, we have a career worst from Jean Renault, who plays this Euro mustache twirling, ridiculous uh, Bond villain. Yeah, I mean, he was whatever. I I was kind of checked out at the movie by, by his... Right. At this point, because um, it is so long, and especially when I was just sort of disappointed that they got away from the stuff I liked. Yeah. Um, but, but again, that isn't to say this is a bad movie. I can't in good conscience say that. I I feel like this one just needed a good editor's scalpel. I think, you know, th- th- some of the stuff that they had at the end could have even worked had it just been Played a little more... Well, just maybe even a little more tight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if we're going to go full war movie, let's just, let's get through it. You know, we don't need the movie to extend another hour at that point when it could be, when we're getting the same stuff, we could get a little 
more efficiently. Um, you know, if we yeah. want to go full genre, let's do it, but let's let's clean it up a little. Uh, I I think about the only thing I really liked um, was the denouement where we see how, what happens to the gold, where all the gold ends up. And uh, again, Delroy Lindo has this a fucking incredible monologue and when he's losing his mind in the middle of the jungle. Right. Um, There's also these but, characters that enter in the film midway through. They're like bomb deactivators and one of them's French mm-hmm. and has sort of a tryst with one of the main character's sons who tags along. Um, and that's all interesting and that kind of plays out like you would think it would. And I think mm-hmm. rather than going out like Vietnamese gangs hunting them in the woods and turning it into a shootout, the direction it was going where all of a sudden there's this paranoia about who can we trust, who we can't trust. I feel like that would have been a better direction to flip to genre in a more graceful yeah. way rather than guns a-blazing. No, I, I agree with you. Um, yeah. So I, I can't in good conscience call this a bad movie, but I can't in good conscience call it a good movie either. I think it's a problem movie. Um, and I'm feeling a C plus on it because I really do like that stuff in the first half, but I, I feel like it kind of drops the ball pretty hard uh, midway through. And there's a lot of people talking best film of the year, blah, blah, blah. Of course, this is a weird year to, to yeah, have those kind of conversations, but... Yeah, this isn't even my favorite Spike Lee movie of the last few years. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. I think uh, I think he kind of achieved a similar thing with Black Klansman, but in a much, I think a little, uh, you know, a, a tighter, yeah, um, tighter way. I, I here's the thing. I still feel like this movie is educational. It's worth seeing um, for the performances yeah, I, alone. I think it's worth seeing. And I, there was a lot of stuff uh, that, you know, that it, that is in this movie that I was unaware of that I'm like, OK, cool. Like that. I, I so I appreciated that aspect of it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's such there's such good scenes. I I feel like the problem is we got the director's cut and and maybe, you know. Yeah. There's a there there could have been a better version of of even the stuff we got, but I think that's uh, sort of so the case. Me, I mean, if we're talking about this movie, we're talking about the Irishman. You know, great directors, fantastic directors on both accounts, but um, we don't always get their best stuff out of the Netflix system because I think there's less layers of filtration that happens. Yeah, which that's a weird argument to make, but I think. Yeah, some t- again. Sometimes the director's cuts are not everything they're cracked out to be. Good right. luck. Hashtag Snyder cut when it comes out on HBO. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would give this movie. I think I'm still gonna give it a B because there was more that worked for me than ultimately didn't work. Okay. And yeah, and I still again because of. Because of the performances, because of the way it's shot, because of the way the scenes are set, like, to me, it's still, I think it's still a better movie than it is flawed, uh-huh. um, but ultimately it is flawed. So that that's going to set it at a B for me. All right. 
Um, let's go ahead and get into the streaming homework then, which is the Italian job, the original, the Italian job from 1969, starring Michael Caine. Um, you can watch this now on Amazon Prime. Uh, if you're a Prime member, you can watch it for free. Keith, tell me what happens in the Italian job. <sighs> Michael Caine gets a job and it's in Italy. Uh, there's actually a so, there's a there's a thing going on Twitter right now for people to describe their favorite movies in the most boring way possible. Oh, <laughs> um, so yeah, Michael Caine is uh, uh, he is a thief um, and he gets released from prison and immediately goes to uh, to do this job in Italy um, where he's going to steal uh, again. Uh, I don't know if you plan this on purpose, nope. but. Um, another gold heist. Uh, yes. There, there's, you know, the big MacGuffin, and this is also a giant pile of gold. Uh, gold bricks. Um, and so uh, he is going to go to Italy and stop their traffic system to create chaos, giving him and his crew a chance to rob the gold. Um, and apparently this movie's a comedy. Uh, yeah, I would say that it's kind of more a comedy than anything else. It's also a heist film. Um, I'm, I'm and a little bit of a car chase movie too. Yeah, I'm gonna be upfront with this movie. I did not give a shit. Really? Uh, I don't know if there was something that was lost in translation. Uh, from how fucking British it was, <laughs> I did not. I thought this movie was dull. I thought it was... Uh, I, I do think it has some incredible shots. Uh, I think the, the director of photography uh, did a really good job. I think uh, Michael Caine is fine, but I didn't really care for a lot of this movie. I found it to be pretty boring and kind of dumb. Okay. I actually enjoyed it. I, I thought I, I sort of like the tone of the movie. It was very dry British humor. I wasn't expecting a comedy going in. I thought it was going to be kind of more like a great escape kind of thing. Um, okay. I think I would have preferred that. I, I think that's what I was expecting because like the humor of this movie was just not landing for me. It's and very I, British. Um, and also, I should say I'm kind of a sucker for like late 60s, early 70s, like British anything like that whole kind of like swing in 60s mod culture sort of stuff like anything yeah. from that time period I, I like I love all those like kitchen sink dramas from that time or like um, uh, I did my thesis on Peeping Tom which came out around the same time and you know whatever quadrophenia okay. so I, I love all that kind of stuff but and it and I, I'll say like it is extremely dated in that sense. Um, there's like this weird song that plays through like the last half of the movie. <laughs> yeah. um, Holy shit. That's, it's oh like, well, we God. have these long shots that are kind of boring, but the movie would be too short without them. So how do we make them interesting? We'll just put this obnoxious sing along on top of it. Um, do you remember the song? No, I, but it was like burned into my brain for a, a week there. <laughs> right. I, I don't remember the words, but it's like we had a ba 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 da ba 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 ba
We are the great something something society. society. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, and it just kind of plays throughout the whole second half of the movie. Um, I think Michael King. Biddy Hill's character did not age well. No, yeah, that was weird uh, sexual predator thing. Yeah, yeah, as uh, played for laughs. Specifically, obese women like yeah, yeah. That got into some sweaty territory for me. I was just like, <laughs> I am not enjoying this. I, I mean, there. It's here's a, the thing. It's a there small were, character, but yes. Yeah, there were aspects of the movie I did enjoy. Like, again, I I loved the look of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but like right out of the gate, I just felt like I didn't have enough context for who these people were. Like, I didn't really know who Michael Caine was. I didn't really know, uh, like. I mean, it's basically like it's basically like he's James Bond, but instead of uh, uh, working for the state, he's a thief. <laughs> he's a master thief. But like, it's not too far working, from his Alfie character. Or, I guess I. He, but he was working for the guy. The the guy he was working for was he in prison? Yeah. So, and again, this is all played for like heightened reality like it's all yeah it's it's out there so so the guy he's working for who's who he's getting all this gold for um is in prison but he's like basically running the prison and by running it i mean like he has an office he has like yeah you know the 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 police everyone there his his cell is like is decked out like an office room with like bookshelves like and stuff. Toilet. Yeah, and See, so I and thought so that's all was... kind of played for laughs in like a goofy sort of way. But I think that was kind of lost in in cultural translation and like date for me because I I thought he was like the warden of the prison. I was like, why is he like trying <laughs> to rob these people? I did at I first very... too until until I saw the police officer like take him to the bathroom and take him back. Then I realized yeah, I was, what was going on. I was like, oh, okay. So the joke is that he's he's like so powerful that while in prison, he's being treated yeah. like a king. I just, I also didn't really get a, a real sense of stakes for this movie. Like, uh, you know, the the villain, he the villain is fine. Um, but like, I don't know, like a typical heist movie, you get to see them sort of outwit people. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm talking like, post uh George Clooney Ocean's 11 like very stylized type of thing and yeah. this is stylized in a very different way um but I just didn't get a good understanding of like who these characters were and what their jobs were and like that's kind of the stuff I like from heist movies right. is like seeing it all sort of come together and in this it's literally just Michael Caine being like all right we're going to go and we're going to like Take this gold and that's that. And stop being fucking jackasses, right? Like, I just didn't care for any of that stuff. I was like, I was kind of, I just felt bummed out. I was, like, disappointed. I didn't get the heist that I felt like I wanted. I wanted to see them, like... Yeah, I thought there was going to be a little bit more to this this idea of, like, jamming traffic on purpose and getting around. And it it turns out the plan is to jam traffic and then use Mini Coopers to drive in Literally anywhere they wanted to. <laughs> Which, that was a fun scene. The Mini Cooper, like, chase scene, chase scene was yeah. silly and, and fun, uh, despite the music. <laughs> I, 
And again, I think the visual eye of this movie was really fucking good. I just think that... Yeah. I just think I didn't get it. I... I say I enjoyed it more than I didn't. I, it, I, it, there's some goofy stuff in it for sure, and it doesn't like. It's still pretty much a B movie. It never really achieves anything above that. But there's, uh, the I like the way it ends. It literally ends on a cliffhanger. Um, yeah, and I did like the ending as well. I thought that that was, that was kind of a clever place to leave it. Um, and uh, it almost kind of like elevates it past it's like base genre comedy goofiness. But I like the humor, like the, especially like with, within the dialogue, not necessarily like the physical humor, but I like the, the dry humor throughout um, and, and uh, the delivery, the line delivery by the actors. Um, I thought that all worked. I like the setting. Like I said, I European sixties is like always looks great in my opinion. Um, so yeah, again, I loved the visual language of this movie. I do yeah. think this movie looks incredible. Like I think the car uh, chases are like are pretty well shot and and interesting to watch. So yeah, well, it and, gets kind of goofy when they're like driving up buildings and through rivers and stuff. Like then it's kind of like okay, but like when they're goofy, actually on roads still... and stuff, then it's pretty interesting. Yeah, I, I totally. Um, and it gets goofy, but I still think it's uh, it's. Even when it gets goofy, it's still interesting to watch. Like, there's yeah. still... Uh, uh, it was just, like, I just didn't care about any of the characters. I didn't get most of the jokes. It just... Uh, I don't know. Um, I will say, though, a young Michael Caine is... He is a snack and a half. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I mean, just if you need any motivation to watch this movie... And you like the idea of a young, very British Michael Caine in turtlenecks and fitted mod suits, then this is a good one for you. Yeah, it is very fashionable. Um, and maybe the movie kind of works the best on a camp slash kitsch level at this point. Um, but I enjoyed it on that level. I Have you ever right. seen the new Italian job? Because I never have. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't like it either. Really, for the same reasons. Um, you know, it's been a while since I saw it, but I remember. I just remember, th- kind of. I just remember thinking it was pretty boring and uh, not very funny. And you know, that's but, a well liked movie. But now replace the '60s mod style with like early 2000s fashion and a, a charming Michael Caine. With fucking Mark Wahlberg. Like, it did, does not... I, I think the remake kind of just replaced all the stuff I actually did like about a movie that I didn't really enjoy. <laughs> all right. Yeah, I, I've... So... I've never seen the, the remake, but it, at a point in time, that was a very popular film. And I remember the reason I never saw it uh, was because the original trailers um, for the remake were gave everything away and now i don't remember what they gave away so i probably could watch it and and at least get a story out of it now but at the time i was just when i was sitting there in the theater i was like well don't have to see that literally know everything that's gonna happen so i didn't see it for years and years because of that i don't know maybe i would like it more rewatching it but i just 
I just don't think the Italian job is the franchise for me. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm like Fast and the Furious. A lot of people don't know that was a remake as well. What? Um, yeah, that was a, that was an old Corman thing from the 50s. Are you, you're like seriously blowing my right mind at the end of the podcast? <laughs> what the fuck? Look it up. All right. Uh, so with that, um, I will have you assign us our next streaming homework. Um, I figured let's bring stuff a little more contemporary. Um, a lot of people are now discovering uh, Dr. Sleep because uh, it's on uh, HBO. Mm-hmm. Um, people were literally sleeping on it. <laughs> um, but because of that, I, and I generally appreciate the director, Michael Flanagan. That's his name, right? Yes. Um, so I thought it would be fun to look at one of his earlier movies from not too long ago, but he did a direct-to-Netflix adaptation of Stephen King story called Gerald's Game, um, and I've been interested to see that, so I figure um, that this is a good enough reason as any. Yes, and I have recently, had we had done a uh, Consumo Bay, I was going to say, I've recently really gotten into uh, the King cast, um, which is a uh, podcast done by a couple people who um, work at Birth Movies Death, and they bring on somebody every week to talk about a Stephen King book or short story slash the film adaptation. And Mike Flanagan was actually on recently to discuss 1408 because um, his his film Oculus was basically the film he made because somebody else was already doing 1408. Um, oh. And he just changed a couple things to make it a little different. But... Uh, but yeah, so I'm really interested in doing this because they were talking up Gerald's game like crazy. And uh, I was like, oh, I first of all, I didn't even know that was a King story. Um, mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, I've, I've really liked everything else Mike Flanagan has done. So I'm excited to, to discuss yeah. this. I actually also uh, recently watched The Haunting of Hill House. Did you ever see that? No, I heard good things. Yeah, so it was the, the series that I don't know if he, I think he... I don't know if he directed all of it. Um, he was a showrunner, uh, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, but um, and I enjoyed it quite a bit too. So it was, I'm I'm a fan. So yeah, I kind of just want to check out that. more stuff by him. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, if anybody has anything to say about any of the topics that we discussed on this podcast or previous, uh, you can email us at mcguffinpod at gmail You can also find us on social media at mcguffinpod on Twitter and Instagram. Um, you can find me individually at VC Cassidy, um, both on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, you can read the reviews that I write for the Idaho State Journal by Googling Idaho State Journal Movies. And that'll pull up the movies page, of which I have several reviews. Uh, and what else? Um, if you are online right now, if you're a fan of the podcast or if you're just discovering us now, please go ahead and go to uh, iTunes and leave us a star rating and a one-sentence review. Helps uh, our show get featured and stuff like that. And we would like more. Five stars, please. Yeah, we, we prefer that. <laughs> um, uh, if you're going to leave a bad review, make it very entertaining, and I'll read it on air. Um, don't wait. No, let's, let's, uh, <laughs> leave a good review and make it very entertaining. <laughs> Even better. Yeah. Um, or, you know, just, uh, suggest a podcast to friends and stuff. We're all 
quarantining or we're supposed to. Um, uh, and if people are looking for new stuff to listen to, tell them to check out our show. Keith, what's your stuff? Didn't you just do an, uh, an art exhibition or something on Instagram? Yeah. Um, so I have an uh, art account on Instagram at Sticky Note Aesthetic. And I just, um, I'm a part of the uh, Horrorgasm San Diego Summer Slashers online gallery. You can check that out at horrorgasmsd.com. Um, I have a few pieces for sale that are on oversized sticky notes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, those are pretty fun. Check the, check that out. Check uh, that Instagram profile out at Sticky Note Aesthetic. Uh, I posted the pieces there, too, and um, you can check out other people's artwork as well. Uh, you can also follow me at Keith Foster Kid on uh instagram mostly and occasionally i pop up on twitter but fuck twitter get off of twitter he, he comes on just to complain about twitter and then leaves for three more weeks so i literally do it's it's sort of my new brand <laughs> that's your new twitter brand do you have an OnlyFans mm-hmm. account yet <laughs> no, but it would probably just be me uh, coming onto a webcam saying, fucking do something with your life. You're dying. And then logging off. <laughs> all right. Um, well, then that will be it for this week. We are the self-preservation society. We are the self-preservation society. We are the self-preservation society.